Hello, my name's Luke, and welcome to Scapegoat, the podcast where we see who gets the blame and who gets away with murder, sometimes literally. I've always wanted to make a Christmas special. Actually, last year I planned and wrote Christmas specials. I recorded them, but I set the release date as 2018 rather than 2017, so nobody ever heard them. And I realised this sometime about January, so it didn't seem the best time to release them. Now, I finally got a message saying, Here, do you want to release these episodes? And I listened to them, and I decided, nah, the audio quality wasn't as good as I normally have it, so I would just re-record them. And, yeah, that's the story of this episode. It's something that I wrote last year, I promised to put out, and a technical flaw stopped it. But, no worries, you're going to finally hear it now. Wanting to make a Christmas episode, I want to say I love Christmas as a holiday because I love getting gifts. I actually enjoy buying gifts for other people. The only problem with it is the cost. But, you know, I love getting gifts. So, if anyone's listening to this cough, my brother, cough... Uh, Red Dead Redemption 2 would be a great Christmas present. But, anyway, moving on to presents. Sometimes you don't get the present that you want. You can get a gift which was referred to as a white elephant gift. And this is a gift that, you know, someone doesn't really want or have any need for. Like, I can tell you, when I was 10 years old for Christmas, I got four copies of Harry Potter and the Philosopher's Stone. Which, I like Harry Potter. It's absolutely grand. Read it a few times. Great books. But, the thing is, you don't need four copies of the same book. But, Harry Potter Mania had launched, so anybody was thinking, Oh, what, you get a ten-year-old nephew? Oh, the Harry Potter books. So, you know, I'd already read them, so I had four copies of the same book. So, what do you do with four copies of the same book? Is something that you'd wonder. So, eventually, what I ended up doing was... You'd say, okay, it's such and so's uh, birthday in February. Oh, here you go. Here's a book. And then you'd say someone else is in March. Here you go. So you're just trying to re-gift these. But the problem with re-gifting a lot of these books are everyone else had also read them. So they got it and they're like, oh, for grin teeth. Oh, Harry Potter and the Philosopher's Stone. How did you know? And they would get the book and say, okay, I'm given this book at the next holiday as well. So there was a couple around my friend circle. There was like a couple of Harry Potter books, which were getting increasingly dog-eared for a year, kind of like being passed around as presents, being like, here you go. Here's something that you'd really like with everyone in full knowledge that everyone else had already read the books. So that's my story of a white elephant gift. But the story of where the term white elephant comes from is actually quite interesting. So white elephants are seen as a sacred symbol in Southeast Asia. So in Burma, sometimes which is called Myanmar, Thailand, Laos, Cambodia, these things were seen as ultra-sacred, beautiful things. And they were seen as a great cultural signifier. So if they were given to you, it was kind of like important symbolically, and it tended to be given to you by the king. So he tended to give these out as in points. He's like pointing to you and saying, here, you're a respectful enough cool guy, and here's a white elephant. And you think, that's great. Like, for instance, if Jay-Z was listening to the podcast and it's like, here, look, you're a cool dude. Have a Ferrari. I'd be like, yeah, I'll take this cool equivalent. But the difference between a white elephant and a Ferrari is because the elephants were sacred, you couldn't use them for work. 
So in Southeast Asia at the time, you use an elephant and you'd use it to like clear forests that you want to make or use them as general farmhands. But you couldn't because this was a gift from the king and was sacred. So the elephant was just sitting there taking up space and eating. And if you know anything about elephants, elephants eat a lot. Like a lot, a lot. If you ever watch The Simpsons where The Simpsons got an elephant, the elephant stampy ended up costing something like a thousand dollars a month just to feed. And I don't think, looking into it, that's an unrealistic estimate. They are crazy expensive. So if you can imagine, you get a white elephant from the king and it's a great status symbol, but you know, it financially could bankrupt you because you got this thing which is useless, takes up space, eats you out of house and home, and you just keep throwing money at it because you can't refuse a gift from the king. Or at that time, you couldn't refuse a gift from the king at all. There was no practical way to get, get rid of it. So even if the elephant mysteriously died, there would still be negative ramifications. People would be like investigating, what happened to the king's white elephant that was given to your charge? You awful, awful man. So generally, it was used as something that looked, seemed cool, but probably wasn't. So due to this, a lot of people believed that when the king was giving out white elephants, it was more of a threat or something that you want to give, which is kind of like a very intentionally negative thing. So the king would be like, hey, don't like your hairstyle. You better get a cut or you got a white elephant. And you're like, yo, king, king. We cool, we cool. I get a haircut. I get a haircut. So, yeah, white elephants started off great status symbols, but, you know, you couldn't use them and they'd bankrupt you. So they ended up just being like a threat. So the analogy I used earlier would be like Jay-Z buying me a Ferrari. It'd be like him giving me a Ferrari without an engine so I couldn't drive it. It takes up part of my like driveway, so I can't move it. And I have to pay road tax on it of about £3,000 a year. That's the equivalent. That would absolutely destroy me. So please, Jay-Z, do not buy me an engineless Ferrari for Christmas if you happen to be listening to this. So modern white elephant gifts are actually quite common. So in 2004, on the Oprah Winfrey Show, Oprah gave 276 members of her studio audience Pontiac sedans in a giveaway. So this was actually quite common for Oprah to do. She would just say, oh, hey, we've got this product and there's one for everyone in the audience. But she never really went as big as giving cars. So everyone was just like, free car, woo! Oprah, you rule! While many of the audience were thrilled by these gifts, it was not actually that great of a gift if you read the small print. Because firstly, receiving a car counted as income, which meant many were taxed at a much higher rate after receiving the car. So you receive a car and the car's got a sticker value of $40,000, maybe $60,000. And basically the IRS the next year would be looking at it saying, oh, hey, you're normally on 40 grand a year. You're not on 80, so you're paying tax for 80 grand. So that immediately cost people a lot of extra money. And there was also additional immediate taxes because in America they've got gift taxes so if you receive a gift, you have to pay tax on it. And that cost about seven grand, meaning many who received the car that day were unable to keep it. They had to sell it. So they might have made a bit of a tidy profit. But, you know, you got a gift you thought you were able to keep. 
and just the small print ended up killing you. So really a white elephant gift. Another example of this would be home customization TV shows like Extreme Makeover Home Edition. Or, you know, generally anything that they're building or adding to a house. I don't mean like the shows where they're changing decorations. I mean like, they're like, hey, we've got a crew of hardy builders and we're going to add on five wings to your house with 300 bedrooms and a staircase made of solid gold. That kind of show. Like, if you ever watched the Vanilla Ice Project, I think that's pretty much what he was doing there. And if you're trusting Vanilla Ice uh, as your builder, you're in a pretty dodgy situation because... Like, I wouldn't trust letting Vanilla Ice into my house rather than building in my house. So, yo, Ice, chill, don't come to my house, bro. Uh, anyway, well, these guys are building these houses and, you know, they're adding. So you might say, okay, this is a free bedroom house with two bathrooms. You're paying, like, moderate tax rate. Suddenly, you get seven extra bedrooms, free bathrooms, and your local council will look at this and your property tax will go hugely through the roof, your utility costs will skyrocket, and that meant many people who received these houses uh, pretty much were unable to stay there because they were unable to pay the taxes. So that was pretty bad for them. So you'd say you had some people being like, oh, I need this house because, like, you know, it's my ancient ancestral house, but I need it for my bigger family. And you'd end up having to sell the house within a year because you're like, the taxes are going crazy. Well, what we're going to talk about today is the story of what I think of as the ultimate white elephant re-gifting story. So, it happened in 1964 in Minnesota. The resident Larry Kunkel's mom gave him a pair of moleskin trousers. So, the trouble for Kunkel was Minnesota winters were very long and very hard. Actually, I believe they still are. I don't know why I said were. And the trousers quickly froze, thus not making them a great present. So moleskin looks good. Moleskin jacket, absolutely we'll take. But if something's frozen stiff and you can't use the legs to walk, not a great gift. But, you know, if he didn't live in Minnesota, if he lived in Florida or Texas, I'm sure this would have been class. But Minnesota Conkle did not really want them. So having worn them only a few times, he decided to re-gift them. And he thought, my brother-in-law... His brother-in-law was called Roy Collette. He's about the same size as me, so I'll just re-gift these moleskin trousers to Collette. So he wrapped up the trousers, really nice, and tried to pass them off as a great Christmas gift. Be like, hey, Roy, my best ever brother-in-law. Here, take these trousers. I bought them just for you. The problem with buying something like that for your brother-in-law is the brother-in-law knew well that it was a gift from his mother that he didn't want. And he was just like, oh, for gritted teeth. Oh, thanks for this hand-me-down, bro. This is really, really great. Colette pretty much had the trousers for a year lying on the shelf. And he thought what would be a great idea would be the next year, I'm just going to give them right back. So here you go, Mr. Kunkel, my favorite brother-in-law. Have your crappy trousers back. And you can imagine that went down like a lead balloon. And both people were just like, oh, I do not want these trousers. It began to start off a tradition. So each year, Kunkel would give Colette the trousers, or Colette would give Kunkel the trousers, and they just began trading them. So this happened for a good number of years, but finally Colette was sick and tired of receiving the same gift. So he twisted the trousers into a three foot by one inch pipe. So he put them inside the pipe, which is 
a very, very tight distance. He somehow managed to twist them in and thought, okay, there's no way he's going to get these out of the pipe. Here you go. Here's a pipe with the trousers. Take it. I'm done. Give me a real Christmas present next year. Kunkel kind of thought, hmm, this seems like a bit of a challenge. So spending a bit of time, he managed to get the trousers of the pipe. He thought, okay, I'm going to return the favor. So the next year, he gave the trousers back to his brother-in-law in a seven-inch square, wrapped up with barbed wire, and he presented it to his brother-in-law. He said, here's a box covered in barbed wire, by the way, the trousers are inside. You can, you can go get through that with your pipes and your stuff. Try barbed wire. So thus, this turned into a game. So both brother-in-laws decided that they would try and gift the trousers to each other each year in increasingly elaborate ways to make them unwrappable so the trousers could not be re-gifted. But this soon became like costly, expensive and potentially dangerous. So the brother-in-laws set down some rules. So the trousers could not be damaged or the re-gifting would end. And they could only use legal and moral methods of wrapping to stop the game pretty much turning into a Saw movie, being like, here, if you open this here, a nail bomb will go off and blow off your face. Like, they couldn't do that. They had to be like, here, we're still brothers-in-law, we gotta keep this civil. And they decided, like, after the first few times, like, we're spending far too much money. So they started using scrap parts just to try and make it cheaper. However, local businesses soon began to get interested because... It became a local legend of like these two crazy brothers-in-law trade these trousers. So many people would start giving them parts or giving them like uh, transportation for their parts for free just to kind of keep it going. The next year, Colette put the trousers into a two foot square crate filled with stones and nailed it shut. And then he sealed the crate in steel being like, okay, here, you get it out of this hugely heavy box and you can re-gift them, but I don't think you will. So Kunkel took a couple of weeks, got it out, and he returned the trousers the next year inside an insulated window that had a 20-year guarantee. So it's like, unsmashable glass, you take this. Then Colette decided, okay, next year, I'm going to put the trousers into a 5-inch coffee can, which he completely resealed, he resoldered it. Then he put the coffee can inside a five-gallon container. So for people who don't use the imperial system, that's the size of a water cooler that you'd find in an office. And then he filled this with concrete. So again, very heavy. I'm trying to get through all of that sealed concrete to find a small metal thing from inside. You'd think it would be impossible, but Kunkel did it. So as the years went on, the size of the gifts began to grow larger and larger. In 1972, Colette had a car crushed with a two-foot cube. And he told his brother-in-law, Hey, inside your cube, look for the glove compartment. And inside that, you'll find the moleskin pants. And, you know, I'm shocked because I'd have thought when it was being crushed, that could have damaged it. But evidently it didn't. The next year, Kunkel, having got them out of the car, built a 17 and a half foot red rocket ship filled with concrete which weighed six tons. It was five feet in diameter with six inch pipes on the outside running all the length of the ship. And there was a launch pad even attached to the bottom. So six tons. And just inside, just for the sake of friendliness, he had some concrete drums. And inside each drum, 
there was potentially the pants and this was surrounded in concrete. So he said, okay, fine. You're going to put a little coffee can in concrete. I'm going to build a rocket ship, fill it with concrete. And that's inside 115. Have fun. So, Kunkel, <laughs> no, Kunkel pretty much was just saying like, let it die. But Colette being uh, the man that he was, he responded by building a four-ton Rubik's Cube made out of concrete. And he gave it to his brother-in-law saying, like, if you solve the cube, the they will open and the pants are inside. But your Rubik's Cube's been small plastic things, which are a couple of grams, easy to rotate. Can you imagine a four-ton Rubik's Cube? How would you shift that? That's absolutely insane. But after this, they just kept trading upwards and upwards, getting heavier and heavier loads until Colette began to want to end the game. Being like, seriously, this is this has taken up my entire September to December, just setting these things up. So how about I just re-gift these to my mother, who gave them to me in the first place? So Kunkel agreed. So Colette sent the pants in a sealed bulletproof glass for Kunkel to pass on to his mother. So on Christmas Eve, Eve Kunkel delivered a car filled with concrete and did not say anything, just said the pants are inside the bulletproof glass, which are inside the concrete. So he pretty much screwed over his brother-in-law. His brother-in-law thought it was going to end, but Kunkel like backstabbed him and said, okay, you paid for the bulletproof glass, I got it, and I'm re-gifting it to you inside concrete! So, the game finally came to an end in 1989 when Colette attempted to have the pants sealed inside a container with over 10,000 pounds of glass. However, the insulation Colette was using to protect the pants from the molten glass failed and they burst into flames. This meant Colette was the loser and he delivered the ashes to the pants in an urn which read, Sorry, old man, here lies the pants. An attempt to cast the pants in glass brought the demise of the pants at last. Shockingly, graciously, Kunkel accepted the urn and did not try and return it next year. So he just had the, he's just kept the urn ever since. In a 1983 interview from the New York Times about the tradition, Colette, whose turn it was to receive the pants, claimed he was sort of disappointed because Kunkel had recently built a house. He said... If I could, I would have put them in the foundation of his house, under the fireplace or something. Then we'd sit there on Christmas Eve, warming ourselves by the fire, and I'd just point to the floor and tell him where they were. One would think of the expense of extraditing the pants from the foundation of the home, Colette would be the victor. But alas, that year wasn't his turn. So you can tell these people are crazy, and they might potentially have demolished their own house or sabotage their own brother-in-law's construction of a house just for this game. So I have to say that's utter gamesmanship for these two. They took their white elephant gifts and they just let the game run. And I think this story is great. So this is our first Christmas story, the story of the moleskin pants. Truly a white elephant. So we've got another Christmas episode from, uh, from last year which is planned, written, and I'm probably going to re-record it too and release it in about 10 days' time. We've also got The Clue, which I said we were going to release an episode on Monday about a train. Sorry about that. 
I just got really sick and I didn't have the opportunity to record for a while and my voice was terrible so sorry about that I'm only just after getting back from illness so that's why I'm recording on the 1st of December so hopefully you guys enjoyed this I've been Luke you can contact me at skateboatpodcast at gmail.com find our discord or even just contact me at twitter at scapegoatpod okay thanks very much guys uh, this is our first Christmas episode I'll see you later bye bye Hi, this is Luke from the Scapegoat Podcast. I'm afraid I can't take your message at this time, but uh, if you leave one, I'll get back to you. Okay, talk to you later. Bye. Yo, Luke, this is Vanilla Ice. I don't appreciate being insulted on your third-rate podcast. Kick it. Scapegoat's crazy. He's also lazy. All right, stop and grab your coat. Ice is back and he dissing scapegoat. Don't listen to Luke, he's a broke ass hoe. Can't get guests on his show. Will it ever stop, yo? I don't know. Turn off the lights and I'll glow. To the extreme, I'll rock the mic with class. Screw to my lawyers and I'll sue your ass. <laughs>